This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Wonders and Irritations 2022 in review. We are at the end of the year. <laughs> yes, so um, this is our last recorded episode of 2022. I actually had to think what year it was then. That's terrible. Yeah. I've literally just said it. <laughs> <laughs> it like, it's strange because on the one side, it feels like it's been a very, very long time. This year yes. has just taken ages. And then on the other side, it, it seems to have really flown by because time just doesn't seem to be working properly since covid basically (laughs) no i completely agree with that um obviously we're doing our new year's wrap up this week and 2022 has had its ups and downs for everyone some of them pretty severe uh we'll obviously mention the downs some of them anyway yeah um but lots of good stuff happened in 2022 too so much that i couldn't even list all of it because there's so many hundreds of really great things that happened yeah um, and some of it you might not be aware of. So, um, you know, we, we're going to be listing as many as we can. Um, this is one of our most popular episode types, so we're aiming to leave you feeling positive moving forward into 2023, especially as Christmas is over and uh, winter doldrums and worries for next year are probably biting about now. Um, so don't worry, everything is going to be all right in the end. Yeah everything will be okay <laughs> start off from that position <laughs> so we will we're going to start off by acknowledging some of the uh sort of irritations of 2022 uh now we're using the word irritation for some pretty big subjects here because we want to keep a sense of proportion over things that we can't change rather than uh denigrating things as you know petty so we're not saying irritations in terms of oh it's petty but irritations in terms of these are things that cannot be changed now you know yeah that we had very little control over but um kind of suck yeah um we're also coming at this from a uk perspective obviously as we both live currently in the uk um but obviously the rest of the world is out there and it does have its own irritations so if we haven't listed something here which you know has been a significant thing where you are um it's not because we don't count it or anything like that we're just sort of mostly looking at it from where we are um in the world and also because the whole point of this episode is that we do have more of a feel-good kind of thing so we don't want to spend too long looking at all the all of the sad things that have happened in the world yeah to be quite to be quite honest the the general news does a pretty good job of looking at all the negative stuff and they do it on a 24 7 news cycle yeah um, so we're, we're gonna not do that we're gonna look at some of the positive stuff yeah okay so we're gonna start off very much in the uk which is that uk politics has now reached a new level of farce like we, <laughs> we, we thought that it couldn't get any more pantomime in fact i don't even want to use the word pantomime because like pantomimes bring people joy um (laughs) it's insulting to pantomimes it is insulting to pantomimes um at this point we've had three people in position as prime minister in 2020 alone 
and whew, 2022 sorry 2020, <laughs> I'm getting confused sorry in 2022 alone we've had three prime ministers um uh with Liz Trust sort of resigning and going but at least I was prime minister <laughs> Like and you're like, kind of... at which point the country sort of collectively smacks themselves up the side of the head with the heels of their hands because it's like, yeah. what the fuck? It's, 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 not a, it's not a, well, but at, li- at least I did it kind of thing. It's meant to be a position of, you know, responsibility and governance, not a kind of, well, I ticked that off the list. Um, So yeah. obviously it's, you know, it's had a, a tremendous effect and when i say tremendous i don't mean tremendous as in happy i mean humongous ginormous effect on the rest of the country yeah because while they were all bickering about who got to be the lead person yeah um all sorts of shit wasn't getting done all the little hamsters who were supposed to be running really really fast and keeping the wheels turning were not running really fast and keeping the wheels turning yeah because Um, a lot of them had died because a lot of them had died uh it is really unfortunate that um we seem to have a government at the moment who has forgotten that their primary purpose is to make the country run, yeah, not to win a popularity contest. So, yes, that's been something of an irritation, an ongoing one. Yeah. And, you know, one sort of, you know, the, the next sort of domino that falls because of this is that our already teetering economy um, has become even more precarious which has resulted in many people currently you know really struggling with the cost of living um which is made all the worse by the fact that obviously we've had some severe cold snaps at the moment people are going into christmas um it is a a sort of a humanities crisis at the moment in the uk with more and more people having to use food banks not being able to heat their homes not being able to sort of you know pay for their cars um or you know actually you know for some people it's just not being able to kind of actually celebrate christmas or or give their children the christmas that they want to and things like that and it has resulted in a lot of struggle and sadness for hundreds thousands of people absolutely and then on you know as a sidebar for that you've obviously got the energy companies who've swooped in like a flock of parasites mm-hmm and gone, oh, it's harvest time for us. Like, you know, harvest time for the money lenders, harvest time for the energy providers. Um, by really, really upping beyond what is acceptable in terms of profit margin, what people are being charged for things they need, basic energy to heat their homes at the moment. So um, that's disgusting. And again, something of an irritation. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the third point is, obviously, earlier this year, Russia invaded the Ukraine in an appalling display of man searches for meaning to his own existence and hopes to provide a legacy whereby he'll be remembered. Yes, Putin, I'm talking about you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm honestly not having a dig at the Russian people in general here because I know many of them are being kept in the dark and fed bullshit like mushrooms. And the ones who actually know a broader picture who've managed to get a broader picture are entirely opposed to this this war yeah um so this isn't me dissing russia in general but this is me very much dissing this particular situation um uh the ukraine however has been spanking russia up and down and all about town which is you know good uh but times are tough ukraine is out with without much heat or energy at the moment so from 
a very physical conflict, it's now moving to the stage where, you know, we, it's kind of like siege siege warcraft. Mm. You know, really oversimplifying it here, um, whereby you win you win a war by attrition and you wear your enemy down, and that that is what's what's basically been happening. So um, it's shaping up to be an especially cold winter, and especially for people in Ukraine at the moment. Yeah. And there is something you can definitely do to help. I'm going to keep this quite brief because if you just Google, you know, how to support Ukraine, mm. you'll get loads of answers that are good answers. But um, if you want to say to donate some money, if you happen to have some spare money, and I understand many people don't right now, you can donate to the Ukrainian Red Cross effort. You can donate to World Kitchen, well, sorry, World Central Kitchen. World Central Kitchen rocked up on the border of Ukraine and started providing hot meals for free to people who were trying to leave Ukraine. And they're still going. Um, you can donate to Global Giving's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. And you can donate to Voices of Children. So there's there's lots of places if you wanted to, even if you wanted to sling 50p their way or what have you, every little thing does help. Yeah. Um, there are things you can do here in the UK at home as well. We have got quite a number of Ukrainian refugees at the moment, mostly women and children, because there was an embargo on the men being allowed to leave Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I can say from personal experience that uh, I have a number of customers at work who are Ukrainian refugees and their children have been taken out of their homeland and just fed into the UK school system. And obviously they're... Their English is way better than my Ukraine, Ukrainian rather. Um, but even so, they're suddenly at school in a, a, a land where they don't actually speak the language and it, everything's unfamiliar and their father's back at home fighting. Yeah. And it's it's bearing things like that in mind, like maybe being a bit more tolerant of people who, if you if you're one of these people who are a bit sort of, oh, well, we don't know them, they're not really like us, maybe be a bit more sympathetic, maybe be a bit more open. Yeah. Other things you can practically do, if you go to your library and, you know, go go online to your library, if you're a, a regular customer, you can log on, and somewhere on that library page where you log on to manage your account online, um, there will be a something, there'll be a link that says something like, suggest a book to us. You can go there and you can suggest that you, the library purchases a few titles for children in, in Ukrainian. Yeah. And that really helps as well. And most library services are getting some Ukrainian and dual language books in because this helps the children learn the language. Um, but also, isn't it nice for children to be able to go to the library and read some books in their own language, particularly at this time of year, particularly at Christmas, where they've got Christmas books in Ukrainian. And it's just... It's a really small thing you can do. It doesn't cost you anything except maybe half an hour of your time. Yeah. And if you aren't a member of your local library, you can go online, you know, just search for your local, your um, your county library service. You can join up online. One visit to the library, that's you finished. You don't ever have to use the library service if you don't want to, although it's there to advocate you do. And then you can just suggest that they purchase a few titles because they're looking to spend the rest of their book budget at this time of year yeah absolutely. and having suggestions from the public is invaluable so that's just one more thing you can do um another thing obviously is also if um as well as kind of doing these things if you don't have any money um you can also there will be local kind of operations and things like that which are happening um and they happen across the sort of the country where you will have uh ukrainian um uh, 
people of Ukrainian descent, so Ukrainian citizens who who are also you know British citizens, um, will have sort of created little you know donation points where they will accept clothes, toys, things like that, which can be given to obviously refugees who have had to flee their country, their home, um, with very little on them. Uh, so you can also find sort of local um, sort of donation and collection points where as it is Christmas you know a lot of people are also you know as you you know as you're gifted new clothes or things like that you might be looking to sort of get rid of some of the old things which no longer fit particularly if you have children and stuff like that um, so donations are also an option as well um, which aren't going to sort of put you out of pocket of course as we've said there are some people, you know, you might not be able to afford to do these kinds of things. You know, you might not be in a position to be able to kind of actually put uh, to put money or, or, or things to the side. But even just kindness, awareness um, and making sort of little small contributions, you know, just on an emotional level, make a big difference um, if you want to kind of do something for the ukrainian people at this time absolutely um and again as a sidebar this is aside from asking for ukrainian books obviously all of this stuff is things that that can be applied to our homeless in the uk as well it's going to be an extremely hard win to them too yeah absolutely um as we said you know particularly with the cost of living and stuff like that also do, you know if you have a sort of food or canned goods or or just even little bits and bobs and things like that sort of donating to a food bank and things like that will actually really help out with helping people during a very difficult time of year particularly when you're also a lot of people are being faced with plumbing problems and stuff like that <laughs> yeah this is when it happens <laughs> it really does okay um obviously we have to mention the fact that um the queen obviously died this year uh queen elizabeth ii um now, Jules and I aren't entirely blaming this on Liz Truss, um, yeah. because the Queen I mean, was 92. <laughs> but it was quite telling that it happened right after she met her. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as Jules has said, <laughs> what, what was it? You, what were your actual words about uh, carpet bags? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's basically, if I started out with Winston Churchill as Prime Minister and then the latest offering was Liz Truss, I would absolutely have packed my own carpet bag <laughs> and gone on to the next life. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, many people are in denial about our current king. Um, and yep. we're not going to get into all of that. <laughs> we're not. We're I think we can appreciate an individual without actually taking on the entire firm. And it is a firm, it's a business. Um, and that is beyond our scope and beyond our desire, quite frankly. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that regardless of your personal feelings for the Queen, um, her death did has had an effect and has had a negative effect in in some one respect or another for many, many people. Um, whether you're coming at it from the point of view of... of you know, mourning her as an individual, um, or or actually coming at it from the point of view of saying, well, what are the, you know, what are the both the financial but also the other sort of costs that come with all of this and the changes, and uh, you know, it's it's a disruptive thing which has happened, um, and has had an effect on people regardless of whether you were, you know, pro queen or not. So yeah. yeah. Um, 
And finally. <laughs> yeah, after clapping for the overloaded and overworked NHS during the COVID pandemic, nurses are now having to go on strike for a wage that reflects the ever-increasing living costs. Yeah. Which is just absolutely fucking appalling. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously this has happened with, you know, nurses, but also we've seen a lot of strikes happening with other essential workers who during, you know, COVID and stuff like that were basically placed on the front lines in terms of, you know, I mean, the post and things like that. When you think about how much we relied on deliveries and stuff like that um, during COVID and now, you know, the posties are, are being left out sort of to dry the railway you know is and obviously our nurses as well um everyone they were all told you're essential nurses put their lives on the line so many people in the nhs died trying to you know save us from covid particularly those who completely ignored the regulations and um pretended you know that covid wasn't a thing or even were convinced that it wasn't um and now they're being put in this position it's just not fair yeah no it it's really not on weirdly i was at work on saturday and someone came in and she had a bit of a chat as we do and then she said you're not striking are you and i looked at her a bit askance and she's like well everybody else seems to be striking and then she sort of the way she explained it was kind of like, well, actually, you're on the front line as well. And, you know, you're not especially well paid. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> that didn't occur to me. But no, library service isn't striking yet. Yeah. Um, that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, there's obviously also been strikes at universities and things like that yeah. as well, um, because it's something that, you know, we tend to forget. And this is not me, therefore, saying, oh, that, you know, never mind the nurses uh, uh, this is not a never mind the nurses it's that there are people who are in the public sector who were told they were essential who provided essential services throughout covid you know with libraries and stuff like that considering yeah libraries were closed but that didn't mean that their services were closed if that makes yeah. sense i mean in fact we weren't actually closed that long at all really and then yeah what we were doing was not just we weren't just providing books to people we were tutoring people on how to use various uh, devices and computer type software over the phone we were providing support to people who were all alone we yeah. were making deliveries to houses we were providing um, central hubs for people to coordinate from yeah um, so we were doing all this community support type stuff and all this social care type stuff which by the way we're not trained to do but there's nobody else to do it so yeah. while i'm not saying yes libraries ought to go on strike it is a case of actually we should all value what we do yeah as part of a greater whole and yes people who work in the public sector should be paid what they're worth yeah and it's the same with obviously the things that teachers and uh, you know lecturers are also have also been doing it but you know teachers at the moment there's a whole teaching crisis uh, a teacher's crisis there's a shortage because you know these are essential people who went above and beyond i know certainly that during covid um i was working double basically um what i had ever done before so that i could try and basically make the learning as easy and as accessible as possible for my students um and i did that because I felt, you know, I, I took on that extra responsibility because I wanted what was best for my students um, so that they could get the best out of 
this bad situation and i am not alone in that and teachers in particular what they've had to go through um you know at, at sort of primary secondary school level and, and things like that has been very very difficult so yeah there are a lot of people who are striking at the moment um and they're striking for a reason um so yeah, yeah. and obviously nurses really are very prominent at the moment yes. given everything okay so that has been obviously some of the irritations that we have faced in the last year it's been a difficult year for a lot of people um but even though we have been faced with death and war and loss of homes loss of power um and you know terrible costs of living crises it can feel like we're kind of edging towards the end of the world that everything is just tumbling and it's all just going to continue getting worse forever but there have actually been some really amazing and incredible things that have happened this year um and it's worth remembering that we are not tumbling endlessly down a hill but that we are going over bumps but ultimately actually going up towards something better yeah i mean it yeah, I think when you have a year, or even a few years like we've had recently, you have to think about it in grander terms in the sense of this is like a physical body's response to a viral invasion, which means you're going to see very, very unpleasant symptoms for a while until it's fought off this yeah. viral invasion. Um, and I think if you can try and look at it from that kind of perspective it takes on proportions that are manageable to deal with and you're not going to sleep every night sort of filled with anxiety because honestly the news really is negatively biased as we've said before um there are hundreds and hundreds of things i literally cannot stress how many great things happened in 2022 but i didn't know about half of them until i went on a real a real little journey down the rabbit hole looking so yeah um um, and it is obviously, it is worth mentioning that if you are listening to this and you yourself are in a very bad position, you know, uh, because of the cost of living crisis, uh, because of the war in Ukraine and things like that, we're, we are not trying to suggest, well, but I know that it's bad for you, but that's just, you know, it's just a small thing. We're not saying that at all. Not at all. Um, it's not stiff, stiff up a lift or keep calm and carry on. We're really not saying no, that. No, it, it, it isn't. Um, this is about basically saying, you know, we're trying to allow people to to say okay but on the grander scheme of things in terms of sort of the wider world and the problem uh, of course at the end of the day even if on the grander scheme of things in the wider world things are looking up we understand that for individuals things might be the worst they've ever been and some people may be terrified of facing even worse conditions going forward so we are not belittling what you're going through um and we hope that things improve for you and that you are able to find relief during this time but we also hope that actually for those people who are currently listening who are looking at all of this happening who are experiencing it and thinking that that there's no possible future where everything could be better that this will relieve you a little bit and perhaps allow you to occupy a mindset which kind of means that you start to create a world which is better as well um yeah optimism is a great catalyst for change whereas pessimism um isn't because if you expect the worst then you never strive for 
better basically and you're probably not going to see better because you're in the mindset of i can only see the worst so um yeah and that that's not a it's very easy to get in that mindset and i think both madeline and i have at some point in our in our lives lived there for a little while definitely Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is also why this episode is good for us because i know personally that I, I can just sort of start to sort of spiral down and go, oh no. <laughs> everything's so, terrible. Yeah, everything's, everything's going terrible. Well. Actually, there's been so many great things that have happened and good news doesn't make as much noise as bad news. Yeah. So we're making some noise for it. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start by, I'm just going to start by saying that there have been some amazing rewilding initiatives which have been happening in the UK and they are currently kicking ass. They really are. Um, i Again, there's too many of them to actually mention all of them individually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think last year I mentioned the Salt Marsh Reclamation Project, which was going from strength to strength. Um, this year I'm mentioning the fact that beavers have been reintroduced as native species to the London area. So obviously not lo- not London, the city. You're not going to find Mr. and Mrs. Beaver living just down the road in Kensington Palace. I've just imagined that you're just sort of you're walking across sort of the bridge, the River Thames, you know, and you just look over and there's just sort of a set of beavers just walking past the other way. One of them's wearing a beret, a, a tweed jacket. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's quite controversial reintroducing the beaver. The beaver, which was a native species that went extinct um, several hundred years ago, Mm. we've actually got beavers that rewilded themselves down in Dorset and in Devon, and people found them and then kept quiet about it because they didn't want anyone coming in and exterminating them. Yeah. Um, Because those projects actually were quite successful, um, and it was improving sort of local watercourses and things like that, which, again, was having a knock-on effect with bird life insect life plant life fish life etc mm-hmm. fish life sounds really weird um <laughs> they, they, they came up with some special sort of nature reserve areas where they were going to trial reintroducing beavers on a wide, wider scale so that's what they've done in london um in kent they have reintroduced the buffalo or the bison rather um which again was a native species to britain as in like a wild cow kind of bison yeah um hundreds of years ago and there's even been a baby a baby bison born there now the first one to be born in the uk we think for about a thousand years that's pretty cool so um yeah i thought that was really cool and there's again there's other stuff as well the thing is when you when a species goes extinct it has a knock-on effect of the entire ecosystem sometimes a species will go extinct because there literally isn't a space for it anymore. But sometimes that lack of space is an artificial thing, and we tend to be the species that nudges everything else out of out yeah. of the way and create that artificial lack of space. Yeah, and when we talk also about the fact, you know, species and things like that going, uh, sort of being returned and stuff like that, when something disappears, um, it doesn't just affect sort of like small things around it. Um, it can change the entire course of a river. It can, it, the, the effect it has is incredibly big. It's ginormous. Yeah, So absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we are, by rewilding, we are ultimately helping ourselves. We are helping to maintain, preserve our farmland, woodland, you know, the things that actually feed us. Yeah. So that's why I get so excited about it. <laughs> Um, okay, our, our second one. This is a big one for me, actually, even though I'm not a football fan. But mm. this year, 2022, the Lionesses brought it home. Um, England's 
female football team um, won the World Cup. And it was amazing. They didn't win it kind of like because there wasn't competition. All these female football teams are really, really good, competent players. And it was just amazing. Suddenly, it's always been a bone of contention that a lot of female sports don't get as much funding or much attention or even as much of a fan base as male sports. Yeah. But that seems to be gradually changing. Um, from a personal perspective, and I will keep this short, I promise, but when I was at primary school, um, it was a mixed primary school, boys and girls, and everything, every bit of funding, every scrap of school money, every scrap of extra time, it all went into the boys' sports teams. Yeah. And the girls were left very much relegated to the point where we weren't even allowed on the playing field um, when the football team or the rugby team were practising. So we were just shoved into this little oblong of concrete for break times and things which really sucked but there you go 80s childhood um and i and i think it was four female friends yeah it was four because it was five aside we we asked if we could join the football team or rather we asked if we could try out and i don't think the headmaster actually wanted to come out and say well no of course you can't try out so he said okay fine i'll put you up against my five best um players and we were like nine ten at the time and we played them and we absolutely wiped the floor with them. Huh. And we said, okay, do we get a, can we have a place on the football team? And he had to say no, because girls don't play football. So, um, yes, we were absolutely excluded based on our gender on, on that one. Yeah. And it wasn't the only time this sort of thing happened. Obviously, I then got packed off to the convent and there was only girls there and I was told girls did not play football ergo we did not get a, to go on a football team there either um they then armed us with hockey sticks and told us to go to <laughs> go and play hockey which was apparently less dangerous and more ladylike so go figure that was that's the thing that's always got me is that they say well hockey is a girl sport but boys are allowed to play hockey you know at, yes. at my school as well <laughs> it was the boys did play hockey but but the girls didn't play football Anyway, so I mean, <laughs> even though I'm not a massive football supporter or anything now, I, um, I, I, do, I am encouraged by the fact that, yes, it's taken all these decades, but things are changing. And I think that's cool. And that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, I think it is. It's a big win, to be honest, um, for for us. OK, uh, so the next is that we have been able to celebrate 50 years of pride after not being able to hold marches and festivities due to COVID, which I think is actually really special. Yeah, and uh, what I love about it is it hasn't been a case of, oh, we're all localised in one place, like there's Brighton Pride and London Pride or whatever. Mm. Um, but every small little town and place, even Dursley, Dursley's one of the most backward backwaters you can imagine. And I know there are people in Dursley who are very much not of the Pride mindset in any way, shape or form, and not tolerant. And yet the rest of Dursley were kind of like, fuck it, we don't care. We're holding our own Pride event. And I'm just, I'm once again, it's one of those where I'm almost slightly choked up um, that this is, this is a, a milestone going forward, even these little backwater places where you get pockets of people just not, you know, yeah. not being tolerant, um, are changing. Yeah. That mindset is actually changing. And it's changing because it was on that trajectory to change, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, that is very, very special. <laughs> and I think also it's just that, you know, after so long and stuff like that to kind of yeah. all come together and have that sort of celebration, 
um, I think it's been very meaningful for a lot of people. Definitely. Okay, this next one's going to sound a bit weird, um, but hear me out. Okay. Uh, basically, the Elizabeth Line opened on the underground and rail tracks in London. Um, and okay, it's got this weird sort of, you go in and there's this whoosh of air and it's sort of a space agey type vibe. <laughs> very, very clean. What's important about this is the Elizabeth Line actually connects a lot of the outskirts of London and further away to lots of the suburbs mm. um, with London proper. And it's designed in part to encourage people not to drive, but to use this much more, hopefully, easily accessible and more affordable, particularly if you buy season tickets and things, form of public transport. So again, you're, sa you're, you know, you're saving on things like um, uh, petrol and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way that it's been connected up is, you know, someone's really thought about this. Someone's looked at it and thought, well, what do these areas need? Well, what they need is so they need people who cannot afford to live in central London to be able to get to work easily. So theoretically, if I worked in London now, I could get a train from Gloucester to one of the outskirts quite easily, get on the Elizabeth line and go in, go into London that way. Obviously, I don't want to work in London, but if I did, yeah, it's a doable thing. Yeah, uh, you know, you can never actually sort of downplay how important um, public transport is. And having lived in places where public transport is very poor and been to places where public transport is very poor, I cannot tell you now how much you will notice a difference when you are in a place where there is poor public transport, where you have to have a car in order to get anywhere. Um, yeah. Uh, for example, I mean, and this is, you know, our, our next door neighbour, if you're in Ireland and you're trying to get from one place to another, most, you know, most of the towns and stuff like that, you have to drive. You're very poorly connected to the rest of the country. A hundred years yeah. ago, you were more connect there were more connections in terms of railway than there are now. Which is quite depressing, it's really, quite depressing, when you think about it. But it's true. Um, so, yeah, um, so this is it's an incredible thing and obviously yes london has always been relatively well connected but considering what a hub it is and how the better connected london is the better connected the country is because it's very easy to get to london from most parts of the country um it makes life easier for so many more people it makes london more accessible and because there's so much work there it means that people can also housing becomes more accessible as well because you can now work from you can work within london but not live within london um, yeah so it's actually a really positive thing um and hopefully it also sets a precedent for continuing to make the country more connected through public transport yeah definitely okay so um, the next one is that obviously the COVID pandemic changed the way we work for many people. Um, companies became a lot more relaxed about office hours, working from home and managing own workloads. Um, it also got the UK thinking about the four day working week and a huge trial of the idea is taking place and has already showed some amazing results. Yeah, I think the first five companies to trial it started off in June and four out of five of them reported higher levels of productivity, higher levels of um, just general staff morale, higher levels of uh, just general well-being and the quality of the work and everything, all, all of that going up, and lower levels of sickness. Yeah. 
Um, I think there've also there's also been evidence of higher levels of revenue coming in and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, obviously quite important there. So yeah, yeah it, it, it's turning out that what everyone's been saying, well, what certain quarters have been saying for some time, that actually having more quality work and less work hours is probably a better balance. Now, that's not something that you can necessarily roll out across the board for every single profession, but this is definitely a start. Yeah, absolutely. And it will go from sort of, because obviously with some things you kind of need a little bit more, but it it, it is really starting to actually understand that how we can use time efficiently and that also kind of reminding people that people are people not products people create products um, exactly so actually if you start to take care of people a bit better the product you will receive is going to be of a higher quality um, and it seems like finally people are actually kind of understanding that so <laughs> so yay yay <laughs> Uh, okay, I've got another weird one, but it was one that caused much joy, so I think it's worth mentioning. Okay. Um, you may not be a massive ABBA fan, but <laughs> um, because the, I think they've more or less sort of finished their tours and what have you at the end of end of the 90s. I think by then they were kind of going into retirement. Yeah. Um, but they were hugely, hugely popular during the 70s 80, and 80s, and they made a sort of comeback this year using cutting-edge 3D holography. <laughs> Yes. So they were doing the singing, but you weren't necessarily seeing them. You were seeing these moving 3D holograms, them, which, okay, from a certain sort of sci-fi point of view, I think is pretty cool. And a lot of people really, really enjoyed it. Some people found it really weird, but it got everybody talking about this sort of cultural event. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And, you know, sometimes we just have to go, it doesn't matter if it doesn't serve a, a massive purpose. I think we just have to appreciate art for what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I think it's just been, it, it's been nice. I, it's sort of made people happy. Um, and for many people, even if you aren't, you know, a big ABBA fan, um, it it's still kind of something that makes you smile. Um, simply because they're a bit of a, you know, an institution as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, it, it was pretty cool actually as well. I think it just it was a bit of a feel good thing where a lot of people went, oh, <laughs> oh, thank God, something Yay. that's not doom and gloom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Now another really good thing that's happened is that Scotland has now said yes to free period, um, and menstruation products and moved towards ending sanitary product poverty, which yes, it, is incredible. I mean, that it is incredible, and I don't think people realise that there are... I'm trying to remember the... I can't give you the exact numbers off the top of my head, but there are a significant number of particularly young um, young women, young females, who literally cannot afford things like tampons and sanitary towels yeah. at all. Um, that you know They're coming from quite underprivileged backgrounds, and money needs to be spent on other things. Yeah. Um, rather than these products. So saying actually this is actually a necessity for people and that you should be able to get them for free is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, and the thing is that, you know, people could say, well, that's a that's a bit of a waste of money or stuff like that. But you've also got to remember that 
um, <laughs> even from a medical standpoint, um, investing in giving people these products for free is still actually going to give you a good return because uh, better, obviously, um, sanitary health in that regards will also decrease costs for the NHS because there will be less cases of people suffering from toxic shock syndrome um, as well as other associated um, uh, sort of problems, bacteria and issues and things like that, um, which come with not actually having um, access to, you know, healthy sanitary products. Uh, and it's things like school attendance as well. You yeah. won't have people who, or you won't have teens who literally are not going into school for between three and seven days every month because they, they, they're worried about the fact they're going to bleed everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, so having these things accessible for people really does make a tremendous difference. Um, both on an economic scale, but also on a humanity scale, uh, which is also something worth pointing out for anyone who is kind of putting donations and things down. Um, it is actually also great if you can donate sort of any kind of um, sort of toiletries or things like that. Pads and stuff like that are pads, tampons are often kind of overlooked. Um, I would say that if you are kind of mixed actually offering pads is probably better than tampons simply because they can be used for longer um, yeah and also it just you know there's just more of a they kind of have a little bit more sort of pretty much everyone can use them uh so that's also worth remembering if you are putting any donations forward or donating to like a center or something like that sanitary products um are always going to be helpful as well as other kind of toiletries and things like that because they're often the first thing that kind of gets ticked off the list when it's between do I feed myself or do I buy these you know yeah these other bits and bobs um so that is really really cool thank you Scotland um hopefully that this will be a trend which kind of continues on further down yeah definitely okay um <laughs> Another cultural one from me, um, uh, the Studio Ghibli film My Neighbour Totoro has been adapted for theatre and it came to the stage at the Barbican in London. Now you might think, how the hell did they manage to adapt that for stage because it features um, some really large anime type creatures. Yeah. <laughs> However, um, from, I know obviously I haven't seen it, although I'm quite curious now. Um, they seem to have really captured the heart of the story and they've got some amazing cutting-edge um, new puppetry. Sorry, Madeline. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that kind of puppetry if it's not oh, trying to look like a person. If that no, makes no, sense. I think it's very much trying to look like, you know, the, well, like, a Totoro like is basically a, yeah. a, a furry troll, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, I just think that's really cool. Uh, it's such a charming story as well that mm. it's a, a great one to adapt for theatre because it would be suitable for children and adults and um yeah i i didn't realize that was even a thing but i might have to check that out yeah i've seen the ads for it and it does look pretty amazing um on another sort of feel-good level uh the uk actually came second in eurovision amazingly and it was actually a cheerful uplifting song <laughs> Yeah, there's a two-pronged thing to this. One is the fact that the UK never, ever comes anywhere high in Eurovision, and it doesn't largely because we're in a high dudgeon with pretty much everywhere else in Europe and yeah. everyone else who takes part. 
Um, the fact that that we were kind of allowed to come second suggests that actually we might be in relatively good standing with our neighbours for a change. Yeah, it, it will surprise nobody that uh, obviously Eurovision is quite, is a strangely political thing, even though it's not supposed to be. Um. <laughs> yes, um, and a lot of, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with obviously Russia, Ukraine, etc. Um, but I have to say, did you, I kind of caught the song and the interview with the guy who was chosen to represent us. And I was looking at him and I'm like, okay, you are one of the few people I've ever seen where I think if I was in your presence, I couldn't fail to be in a good mood because you're just radiating positivity. Yeah, I've got to admit, I actually, I I thought the song was good. Um, Even if it's not particularly your style of music, um, it was a a good entry. It was well performed. um, And it was nice to see something that wasn't, you know, uh, miserable, but was actually performed with genuine glee and attention and stuff like that you know care so uh, uh, it was actually a very positive thing i think it made a lot of people smile which is also actually rather important yeah definitely uh okay a mention to do with the the queen just very briefly and again i'm not a royalist i'm really not getting too deeply involved in any of the politics or anything but i do think it's interesting that a 10 mile long queue with a wait time of more than 24 hours formed to see the queen's coffin lying in state and while people are like, well, why is that good news? It's like, well, because it's proof positive that you can unite the country over something, even when that something is to come together and commiserate over what someone who you didn't really have, you know, they're not a member of your family, but what they meant in your life. Mm. Um, and I, I have to say, I had a pretty odd um my perspective growing up was odd in the sense of when I was born, we had a queen on the throne and a female prime minister. And that was the case for a large proportion of my childhood, literally for the next 10 years. Mm. Um, so while I was well aware of sexism, I was also well aware that women could absolutely reach the dizzying heights as well. Yeah. So it is absolutely the end of an era and everybody coming together in some way even if some people are just there because literally they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, I do think is kind of a positive thing. Yeah, it it is always nice to see, particularly given how divided this country has been over many things, um, any sort of moment where you see people being unified in some respect or another, where it's not actually about a conflict, um, yeah. um, I think, you know... It's not, it's never going to be, it's not a bad thing, I think. It's It's quite a touching thing, actually, regardless of your thoughts about what brought them together. <laughs> um, regardless of your thoughts about the Queen, um, it, it was something which was quite moving. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, anyway, anyway. Uh, we next have, obviously, that Canada... And this is actually a really, really amazing one. Canada has officially banned conversion therapy. Yeah, which has, you know, long been proven to be ineffective. Hmm. Um, I do. I, I, all right. I, if someone is saying that they are, they, this is something they want to undergo voluntarily. I'm like, I think you're wrong. But at the same time, you do deserve agency over your own life, even though I think you're wrong and I don't agree with it. But it's so often open to 
in fact it's almost exclusively open to abuse so i do think this is a really good thing i don't think this is this this should ever really have been an offering i think um if you wanted to genuinely help people who were having difficulty for whatever reason then you could be doing that through various mental health acts etc i don't think you need to be offering this sort of yeah. I'm trying to be really polite about this and it's just not coming out right, Madeline. <laughs> well, I think the fact of the matter is is that anything which in sort of involves any kind of conversion, and if we if we take a sort of a step away from the idea of, of if if we take a step away from it being sort of conversion from homosexuality or anything like that, um, it's about, you know, basically saying, I'm not happy with myself, I want to be changed. Um and there's a difference between saying, I want to change habits for example, you could say, well, I have a bad habit, such as I want to stop smoking or I want, I, I'm angry too much of the time or I've developed some very troubling behaviours um, where I'm I'm being unkind to people. That's about changing habits. Um, that's not about actually changing yourself um, and or, or changing a fundamental within yourself. And anything I think which sort of promises to change a fundamental within you not change a perspective not change you know or, or help you rework a habit or something like that but rather to change something which is you know a part of who you are um, a natural part of you is actually feeding on um, uh, sort of biases and prejudices in the world around you rather than actually trying to help you as an individual and the fact of the matter is is that conversion therapies um, you know for homosexual people for trans people um, these are not actually the, the practices the the techniques and stuff which are used are almost exclusively based on shaming putting away that part of you um, almost exclusively based on sort of applying negative contexts rather than actually helping an individual, um, which is why they have been so open to abuses, which is why people who have even sought them out have actually often been acting because of external forces rather than because of actually any real sort of, uh, you know, the desire for change within them is because of the external sort of prejudices that they've been faced with yeah um and that often actually what people you know need in that position is actually to be able to understand themselves and to be able to make decisions you know for themselves from a healthy perspective regardless of what that decision is um and often that's not the case um conversion therapies have been used to abuse people for very long times um and they've also been sort of points of abuse where people go to them thinking this will actually help me and it's not helped them it's caused massive problems further down the line for them yeah absolutely so while it's a case of yes i will attempt to respect your choices i think having this choice taken off the menu is a good thing yeah not least because um it means that let's say you did have a personal choice where you where you personally said i don't want to be this anymore um conversion therapy wouldn't actually help you with that because the techniques and stuff you know scientifically we know that these things that are presented it's actually just about kind of traumatizing you out of something 
that's yeah, a lot of the techniques that they use um which is not a healthy way it's not good for you for you it's not good for you emotionally it's not good for you physically etc if you wanted to make a decision where you wanted to make a change for yourself you need to basically approach it from a different angle basically um so you could still see a therapist and say i'm not happy with myself as i am now i'm not happy being gay i'm not happy etc um and actually look at it from that perspective and to be honest i think what would happen is that even if you went into it saying i'm doing this because i want to move away i I want to stop being gay at the end you would come out of it with a better understanding of yourself with a greater sense of what actually is hurting you or upsetting you and a kind of a step forward of how you can make you know make change the changes that you want to make but also make kind of positive steps forward and the fact that actually usually that that involves not trying to convert yourself um is telling really of what the primary issues are rather than a judgment upon you yourself yeah absolutely um in a completely different direction scientists have managed to pinpoint how star formation in our galaxy began um they can explain for the first time what triggered the formation of stars in the Milky Way, according to a paper published in Nature back in January. Researchers say a chain reaction of supernovae about 14 million light years ago, 14 million years ago, sorry, uh, led to a creation of a 1,000 light year wide bubble at the centre of which lies our galaxy. That's crazy. <laughs> It does sound crazy. Um, though scientists knew this bubble existed, they recently discovered that all the local star-forming regions sit on its surface because the chain reaction pushed away the dust and gas needed to produce new stars to the bubble's edge. I think this is really cool and fascinating. It is. It's amazing. When I say it's crazy, I don't mean like I don't believe it, but rather <laughs> that it's just... It's wild. <laughs> yeah, we've gone from microcosm to macrocosm here. Yeah. Amazingly, within the same ballpark, in May, scientists unveiled the first images of Sagittarius A, the black hole which lies at the centre of our galaxy. This was a result of a huge international international cooperative effort known as the Event Horizon Telescope Project. Um, it's mind-boggling and it's just awesome that it was you know so many people coming together in order to achieve this yeah i love anything where it's a case of um various different countries and their scientists or whatever all got together and said we'll work on this together this will be cool and it it kind of let's forget about politics let's forget about all our squabbles and our cultural differences and just work on this one yeah. thing nerds be science nerding. is really good at that yeah let's be <laughs> nerds <too. laughs> Um, moving away from the stars and more to the seas, due to amazing global conservation efforts, the population of humpback whales has grown from a low point of 10,000 to over 80,000 in 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, they are still a threatened species in some areas of the world, but this provides hope for the success of ongoing conservation efforts. Yeah. Um it would just be amazing if the, you know <laughs> you know we can continue down this path yeah i have to say it's not just humpback whales that are making more of a comeback um there's the fin whale as well which has been seen in greater numbers off the coast of various um places in larger pods and what have you so you know for uh, all those sort of oh it's not working we're 
we're going out here, we're campaigning, we're talking about this, we, we keep talking about it. It seems it's falling on deaf ears. It's not falling on deaf ears. Improvements are made, being made. It's just happening quite slowly because obviously whales, you know, procreate quite slowly. Yeah, they, do. <laughs> you know, they have a longer than a year pregnancy for a start. So <laughs> not going to see tough. instant revolts. It's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Um, on the medical side of things, uh, Moderna announced the first dose of HIV uh, of the HIV vaccine that have been uh, have been given to trial patients. So this is phase one of their MR sorry their mRNA clinical trial. Um, yeah, this is this is amazing. They've, they've tried it, it first with an initial an initial dose and then a, a booster, and they're basically checking sort of. Um, immunization levels um, I won't go into too much detail because you get quite complicated and they've kind of developed this obviously um, uh, mitochondrial ribonucleic acid that's the mRNA is mm-hmm. where they've they've gone with this and is I think I think I'm right in saying that it's very similar to what they started developing for the COVID vaccine but it's kind of a bit further along to actually being a vaccine mm-hmm. if you see what I mean um yeah. And it's just, it, it's come out of our combined knowledge on things like genetics. And once again, this has been a, I don't think I, I wrote it in my notes, but this has been a global effort with groups of scientists from around the world sort of sharing information and working together, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Okay, um, renewable energy. <laughs> <laughs> in February, the world's largest floating wind farm was approved for built. Uh, for building off the Welsh coast. It's called Gwynt Glass, which means blue wind, and it's 20 times larger than the current largest floating wind farm, which is off the coast of Kincardine in Scotland. Um, it, once it's completed, it will generate enough power to supply 927,400 homes. Yeah, which is just amazing. Particularly every- as technology is also evolving in terms of how these... Um, uh, these windmills um, are built now so that they are even more efficient um, and less wasteful year by year. So, you know, it's just up and up and up even better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, every time they make one and it's successful, then it helps push forward plans for new ones. And they're trying to do it in a way that disturbs sort of the natural habitat, that, yeah. you know, as little as possible, etc. It pr- it's going to provide lots of jobs for people who are living in coastal areas. So where things have had to be scaled back in terms of fishing or perhaps things like fracking, which mm-hmm. is bad, as we know, um, this is providing a, di- a different opportunity. So, you, you know, it is, again, providing jobs. So overall, it's a beneficial thing when they build one of these. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, uh, monarch butterflies are up from just 2,000 in 2020 to 250,000 in 2022. The monarch butterflies have been getting frisky. Now, uh, while there is still obviously a very long way to go, this is only still about 5% of the 1980s population. It's still a really encouraging trend. Monarchs are pollinators, and without pollinators, we humans will all eventually starve to death. So this is obviously very good news for us too. Um, Basically, a rise in insect numbers. Uh, People think, oh god, insect numbers. No, it's really fantastic. It's very positive for all of us. Definitely. 
Uh, again, back to medicine, scientists believe they may have cured a woman completely who was HIV positive. Um, and it's the first time they've ever managed to do this with a woman. She's now off the HIV medication and remains asymptomatic and healthy. This is the fourth such case in recent years. Three men were previously cured. Um, so this is now not looking like an isolated incident with someone's very specific genetic code coming into play. This is kind of like, no, we can replicate this. Yeah. Um, they did it using cutting edge stem cells transplant technology. And it's likely to be a viable treatment for all HIV positive patients in future. No doubt this is going to be hugely expensive to get underway and everything, but it's still really encouraging progress for something which back in the 1980s, when it was first really being talked about and discovered, um, was kind of a death sentence. So this is a huge deal. Yeah, I, it really, I mean, I, some of our older listeners, you know, some some of the people also, you know, who were around my age and stuff like that, um, will remember those horrific, terrifying ads about, you know, be safe during sex because AIDS is a killer. Um, and, you know, we'll also remember how many people we lost, particularly in the LGBT community, um, during the AIDS crisis, um, to now see these huge steps going forward, it's incredibly moving, um, and it's just so hopeful. It really yeah. is. Now, uh, a national survey in American, sorry, in in American, in America, <laughs> a national, it was written in American, um, sorry, a national survey in America revealed that a large majority of voters trust library, librarians and don't support book bans. So go ahead and ignore headlines of states and schools trying to push book bans through. This is not representative of how most people actually think. I think that's really encouraging. And I'm not saying this just as a librarian. <laughs> no. Um, because obviously as libraries are generally, we try to be neutral. So even if it's something we don't agree with, we'll probably supply a book on it because we're open to all points of view. Yeah. Um, so it's always really depressing when you see something getting pushed in the news saying that this book has been banned because of the content. And nine times out of 10, you look at the content and you're like, some children need that book. Yeah, There are some children out there whose personal circumstances are reflected by what that author has said and they actually need that book because it helps start the dialogue for them. So I'm really glad to hear this one. Yeah, it, it, it also just kind of, also, it's a good reminder that whenever you hear about these sort of sensationalist, oh, this is banned or etc., usually it is actually a very small number of people, um, but it's always reported as if it's a majority and it's not it's a small very loud minority definitely um okay i'm probably going to mispronounce her name but stephanie frappa of france became the first female referee to lead refing at a male match at the world cup this is obviously football or yeah. soccer if you're in america yeah um, and this is a really big deal again because not only was she refing at a, a you know a boys club event mm -hmm. um they they've always kind of it's difficult to get into refing as a woman it always has been and it's certainly yeah. really difficult to get to the top of the tree so the fact that this is happening like again with like the lionesses um winning the world cup this is a, a this is a big push forward in female sports and i think again that's something that should be celebrated yeah completely agree uh now an independent climate think tank 
called Ember have found that if the current rate of wind and solar growth continues, the world will reach its renewable energy climate targets. We will be on track to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. So it's still to play for people. Um, and, you know, considering how much doom and gloom there has been with regards to this whole subject, this is so positive. Yeah, I mean, it's not to be laissez-faire about everything everyone's been doing, you know, by reducing your carbon footprint, turning lights off, trying to use less energy, uh, moving to more renewable sources where possible, recycling, etc. All that still needs to happen. But you know what? There are results happening. And every there's lots of people saying, oh, we're never going to get there in time. This is a crisis that's going to happen. The fifth extinction is about to descend upon us. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah. Remember, optimism is more of a catalyst for change than pessimism. Definitely. Okay, the world's largest wildlife overpass is being built over a 10-lane California highway. The overpass will create a safe corridor for animals living in the Santa Monica Mountains. Now, I went and had a little look. Not, I didn't li- literally go over to... I didn't nip over to Canada before this episode. To, sorry, <laughs> California, not Canada. California before this episode to take a look. Um, but this project's been about 10 years in the making and it's due to finish very soon. And this overpass is amazing. It's got, you know, we think overpass as in the boring concrete structures that humans used to get over motorways and what have you. Mm -hmm. No, this is kind of, it's made to look very much like, you know, it's much wider for a start. And it's made to look like the animal's natural habitat with lots of plant growths and things to protect nocturnal animals as well and to provide cover. And humans aren't using it. Yeah, it looks amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's just this amazing sort of like, huge woodland pass that just goes over this 10-lane highway which is especially important because there is a protected species of mountain lion in the area and they've lost i think 25 of them on this very same highway Mm -hmm. um, through cars and have you hitting them you obviously can't slow down for an animal on a highway because you might kill all the humans behind you in the other cars so yeah um, giving these animals another option is amazing. I mean, just because we live here, it doesn't mean that we absolutely have dominion over everything and we don't need to consider any other species at all. So yeah. it also does protect human life because a lot of collisions that do occur, for example, um, do happen because of animals um, yeah. trying to cross. And again, it's not the animal's fault. The animal is sort of just trying to, to live its life. Um, so this is good both for animals and for people. Um, for the first time ever, also, we're back to renewable energy. Uh, renewable energy sources have been met 100%, sorry, have met rather 100% of the demand um, for energy in California. Which is fantastic. Cause it you is. Think, I mean, we say California and it's like, oh yeah, it's a state in America. Um, it's a state in America that could fit most of the UK in its back pocket. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge it area. Is, it is humongous. And remember, these positive changes happen one step at a time. And they're also, the more they increase, the more people who use them, the less expensive it becomes because it stops being a specialist thing um, and it starts to become more accessible. So every step we take towards that even if it's not within your own country is a step towards greater progress definitely um back to medicine again a medical breakthrough saw scientists identifying a blood market in babies with a higher risk of sudden infant death syndrome um now they've managed to reduce over you know through various um 
through various precautions and things, the really, really high numbers back in sort of the late 80s managed to get, you know, significantly reduced down to sort of like the 33% mark uh, from the 236% mark. I think those numbers are correct. Yeah. Um, so that, that was huge already. But the fact that now they know not what causes it, but what might be more of a likelihood. And it's something to do with a specific enzyme. Um, whereas babies who are more likely to be at risk of SIDS are, you know, they're not producing enough of this enzyme. Um, knowing this means that doctors can look at, you know, causes of treatment and things going forward. Because... Uh, I have to say this, having worked in accident and emergency, there is nothing more tragic than new parents coming in with a child who went to bed healthy and just died. Yeah. It is absolutely appalling. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, this, is a, this is a huge one as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, identification is always the first step when it comes to treatment. So, um, and I, and it can also be the most challenging step. So, um, it, you cannot, <laughs> I cannot stress as well as with Jules, how important this is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have, <laughs> we have personally myself, no, uh, <laughs> 523 acres of native redwood forest in California has been returned to the custodianship of the, um, I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, the Cinchione... Cinchione? I'm pretty sure that's how it's said yeah. as well. Cinchione Wilderness Council. A council of 10 Native American tribes focused on environmental and cultural preservation. Um, it's so exciting. It really is so exciting. Um, not least because I think there has been so much which has sort of been forgotten in how much... Uh, sort of customs and cultural preservation is tied with environmental preservation um, and this is such a massive step forward um, both for the environmental preservation of um, this you know of the redwood forest um, but also uh, which has been you know you know forests in general have just been under so much attack uh, but also of the preservation of a culture which um, and cultures which have which were almost wiped out yeah um, interestingly enough the actual forest was purchased for this purpose i believe mm -hmm. and i'm going to get the name of the the energy company wrong so i'm sorry but i think it was the um the eastern gas and electricity board could be wrong who you know that i wouldn't say they're doing penance exactly but they are very keen on um shall we say making a contribution to a slightly more positive environmental effort so they they, they purchased this forest which is not it was not cheap put it that way it was not cheap um and it, it was obviously handed over to this custodianship and they also contributed 1.3 million for the efforts towards beginning this huge uh, preservational park as well and if you speak, you hear some of the the Cinchione, which I think is, again is how you say it, 
um, Wilderness Council, what they've written and what they've said about this is the fact that, you know, they really are dedicated to preserving some of these these huge redwood trees that some of them are a thousand years old. Mm -hmm. And um, the habitats it's providing for various animals, some of which are endangered. So, yeah, this this is a really big deal. Um, yeah. The next one isn't a big deal, but it is kind of a it's kind of a marvel. <laughs> so, it's kind of a wonder. Um, at least it shows an adjustment of attitude, I think. Um, Mattel, the toy company, revealed its Jane Goodall Barbie, made from 100% recycled ocean reclaimed plastics, and part of their new inspiring women range. <laughs> um, if you're not sure who Jane Goodall is, she was uh, a leading primatologist. And, uh, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of female scientists who are really the top of their game and should get more recognition. But look, Jane Goodall seems to be the one who actually really made a name for herself. Jane Goodall and Marie, Cl Marie Curie. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really, okay, it's an interesting pivot when you consider what Mattel and, you know, the Barbie Rangers traditionally always provided us with. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty damn cool. I have to say, I'm sure that that uh, marketing and uh, profit margins do have something to do with this. They, they want to try something different because they are a business. Uh However, if more people are kind of like, well, I don't want to just give my girl a Barbie doll or my boy a Barbie doll. I want them to have something that says, well, look, this is a th this toy that you're playing with shows that you can do X, Y and Z. You can do all these wonderful things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see that that's a particularly bad thing. Yeah, I completely agree. OK, uh, Hawaii received its last ever shipment of coal. Um, its coal plant actually closed in September. Now, this is a huge step in its aim to be 100% renewable by 2045. Yeah, so it's all these little pockets of change all around the world who are kind mm -hmm. of like, I mean, when people are talking about basically the uh, renewable energy crisis and global warming, etc., they focus on places like China and India and um certain parts of America who are not doing very much to reduce their carbon footprint or change their energy use methods. And they're forgetting places that are kind of like, no, we're on this, we're actually getting it done. And I think it's worth um, definitely singing out about a few of them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I love this next one. Um, women were appointed to high positions of influence in the Vatican it's like whenever you're thinking, you know, if you're thinking there's an institution that will never change, that is a literal patriarchy. And literally, that's the, where the term probably came from. Um, so this is for the first time ever. Three women have been appointed to the council which advises Pope Francis. Meanwhile, in Egypt, the Al-Hazir Mosque has named a woman as an advisor to the Grand Imam, Sheikh Ahmed El Tayeb, a first in the Islamic institution's 1000 year history. so cool <laughs> i'm really <laughs> excited buddy. i know like even from a perspective of not you know being religious i, I think it, it's very exciting particularly for communities who are um and for for a lot of women who are muslim who are catholic to be able to look up and see that they are represented welcomed um respected in 
authority positions within their institution. Yeah, and you're also getting that diversification of perspective and opinion as well, or at least I hope you're beginning to. Yeah. Um, which is really, really important. I think the problem with, I mean, I, I can't talk about Islam, but mm -hmm. I certainly can talk about Catholicism. And I think there is a big problem with having a council of, what, 25 men yeah. who have lived a very specific type of life and nobody else. It's like you're really only arguing from one perspective there. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next, um, now I'm gonna definitely going to say this wrong, is it the Exturismo? I can never say I think, it. I think it's Zurismo. We'll call it Zurismo. We'll call it Zurismo. <laughs> the, the hover bike. Uh, the Zurismo <laughs> hover bike makes its first um, public flight. So a Japanese startup demonstrated its hover bike in flight for the first time in September at the Detroit Auto Show. The Zurismo is a flying bike that can stay aloft for 40 <laughs> minutes. Um, it will set buyers back more than half a million dollars. Um, but, you know, to be honest, some cars will do that. Uh, yeah. Plans for a more affordable electric hover bike at about sort of $50,000 $50, are currently in the works. But it's a hover bike! <laughs> it's like we're, we're, we're almost in Jetson territory, aren't we? We are. It's very exciting. <laughs> okay, and our final uh, piece of good news, although again, there's hundreds, you can find more if you want to. Um, France has ended a deal recently with Germany whereby it's pumping natural gas to Germany in return for electricity. So with uh, Russia cutting off energy supplies to many places in Europe in retaliation for the sanctions placed against it for invading Ukraine, um, it's made Europe look relook at its infrastructure, uh, the UK and Europe. I'm sorry, I keep thinking we're part of Europe still, but the European Union, we're not. Um, but yeah, all of us have been looking at the infrastructure and making changes and deciding that actually maybe we shouldn't be having energy that's coming very specifically from this one place. Mm. Um, and there are ways for us to work together, which considering that, you know, from one perspective, the whole Russia invading Ukraine, we've got war in Europe for the first time in something like 70 years. It was a horrible, horrible shock. Um, for many people. At the same time, it's made the rest of Europe look at things and work in this cooperative manner. So while this isn't about renewable energy, I do think this is actually an encouraging thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the small steps. It's the small things. But they yeah. all do build up, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these are just a few examples of the good things which have happened in 2022. There are literally hundreds more. Um, and since we, you know, we get asked uh, where our listeners can go to for more positive news cycles, uh, we've actually got a few suggestions. Um, so if you want to find out some even more good things or you're having a bad day and you want to remind yourself that the world is actually improving, despite what the news would have us believe, uh, you can check out things like the Good News Hub, uh, www.positivenews.com, the Optimist Daily. Um, uh, it's it's a Reddit um, channel, isn't it? Uplifting yeah. news. Yeah. 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 And the Happy News as well. 
Yeah. And obviously we always say three independent sources of verification before you really form an opinion on something. Yeah. But these sources are actually just as good as, say, you're, if you're, you're getting your news from The Guardian or from Sky News or whatever. In fact, they might be doing better because they're not recycling news from other news channels. They're sort of going and finding their own stuff. Yeah. Um, but as always, even whether it's good news, um, find out more about it. Make sure that other people are talking about it. Check where the sources are coming from, because that way you can actually really celebrate it and never have to worry whether it's true or not. <laughs> yes. OK, so well, we've overrun slightly, but we're just going to share a few of our highlights this year. Yeah. Um, either personal working or um, or just generally, you know, stuff we've read or seen. Um, I'm going to go first, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be one of Madeline's highlights. Okay. And it's a really random thing to pick, but it's like it's it's not even the entire show necessarily. But the the Wednesday Adams dance from the new Netflix show Wednesday was one of the highlights of my year. <laughs> <laughs> in, I've never I, I, I was sitting there watching it with just unadulterated joy because it was both new, um, but it was also very reminiscent of the old black and white Adams family show and mm -hmm. Wednesday dancing with Lurch and various other things it's a bits and pieces from childhood and it didn't make her weird dancing like that it was just kind of like oh well she's not she's taking herself seriously so everyone else took her seriously as well and kind of thought she was cool yeah yeah I agree um I think that it was fun I loved the whole series to be honest I thought that it was very very well done um, yeah I actually think that we've actually had a really, really good year in terms of some fantastic new shows, um, books and art and things like that. I think that we've been very, very successful um, this year and we are, you know, we're seeing growth within the industry and that's been a real highlight for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've um, you know, you know what? You can check out my Goodreads because, generally speaking, I've had a really good year for books. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's been one or two disappointments, but well, not really disappointments, but bits sort of like I was hoping it would be better, but I kind of thought maybe it wouldn't be, and it it was exactly what I thought. And I don't <laughs> need to shout about those things because I'd rather shout about the ones I really liked. But um, Legends and Lattes came out this year. That was a highlight book for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that one. Uh, other highlights, I've got two kittens, uh, except they're sort of nine-month-old kittens now, and one of them's quite a large cat, or going to be, <laughs> I think. Um, and that, that was brilliant, and that came um, sort of in the wake of something really shit that happened. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, highlight for me, personally, um, I got engaged. Yes. Yes. Um, that was actually quite a big thing. <laughs> No, I've, I think I've had quite a good year just in terms of also where I've been with my work and uh, like I said, I got engaged um, and there have been some successes on sort of like with, with sort of writing stuff as well. Um, I think it's actually been a really positive year in that respect with everything kind of going forward very nicely so I've actually had quite a good year um, it's been quite a good year where a lot of work that's been you know several years in the making which makes it sound like I've been working away at getting engaged I didn't mean that 
but what I meant was that you know a lot of a lot of very sort of positive things which have just been you know seeds which were planted a long time ago have have really started to to come into fruition now and I've seen successes in my work um in my writing and just finding sort of a more comfortable and happy position um sort of in my life in general so I'm hoping that that will continue into 2023 yeah definitely um I've finished what I loosely call season two of Harker and Blackthorn so there is now 10 full books out yeah not gonna lie season two of Harker and Blackthorn has also been a massive highlight in my uh yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Especially that last book. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> I'm still reeling slightly from somebody saying it was it was cozy, the cutest, coziest book, and I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah Jules said it's like, how how is that a cozy book? And I said, I don't want to hear complaints from someone who says that things crawling out of wells isn't scary. So <laughs> That point really it really depends where your line is but always appreciated um somebody who has liked a book and says so so thank you very much yeah obviously. yeah oh um yeah um there's this pro- again well there's probably lots of other great highlights and stuff for us and the whole point of this podcast is we bring you at least one highlight every week <laughs> this yeah. is what our recommendations are about so we can't bring out everything now um i will say any reso- resolutions for the new year um i think really the best uh, it sounds so cheesy but my resolution uh, every year is just to have the best year i can yeah, I um, think that's fair. It sounds super cheesy, um, but I don't like giving myself, you know, limits and saying, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Um, I have kind of goals, um, but I don't want to call them resolutions because I don't want it to be seen as failure. I don't want to apply the idea of failure to kind of a year. I want to be kind and forgiving to myself and basically say, you've just got to do the best that you can um, and to kind of accept that sometimes the best that you can do in a moment isn't going to be what you hoped for yeah no i completely agree with that and you've got to be careful i mean resolutions are a bit like hydra as in you put one down and then suddenly it sprouts another 10 extra heads yeah and if you start giving yourself those sort of limitations then um, you're you're setting yourself up for failure generally because you are most people can't keep one resolution (laughs) let alone 10 um i do have one that i will stick to and it's kind of a mild one and that is I'm going to stretch more as and I'm going to do more yoga and stuff simply because <laughs> I have no this sounds really bad but I'm I'm 43 now I'm going to be 44 in July and I don't recover from injury and stuff like I used to it's really sad I'm sorry you've got this to look forward to Madeline about 13 <laughs> years time um and it's just a case of I found that actually doing a little bit of not too intense yoga a couple of times a week is really helping with that so and I don't want to lose my flexibility. I want to keep it. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm working on this year. Yeah. I do so much running and um, impact type training and weight training and stuff like that. I'd forgotten to stretch and I was really fucking things up. So Yeah, to be honest, having a good stretch is a... Yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't end up doing yoga itself, but, you know, stretching is important, guys. Uh, particularly when you, yeah, when, when you're kind of past even 25, 
<laughs> stretch um <laughs> that's the other thing obviously being a writer and a librarian i spend a lot of time typing and i need to really take care of the tendons in my wrists and my hands mm. so that's all that's all part and parcel of it so that that's it i'm going to spend time on me looking after my tendons and my connective tissue yeah i would say if i did if i was going to kind of give myself a sort of a resolution um i would it would be about sort of taking care of my sort of mental health basically and yeah. in, in that be kind be kinder to yourself um particularly you know when things are when their things feel at their worst ask yourself am i actually making things worse for myself am i being unkind to myself unnecessarily or you know um at what point do you take kind of a step away and it's something that i want to remind myself of next year which is again why i'm saying when i i think more of goals and that overall i'm just going to try and have the best year that i can and accept that sometimes goals won't be met and sometimes they will be met um but that's through no fault of my own really yeah absolutely yeah um obviously my goal my my big goal for 2023 is to bring out the last season, season three of Harker and Blackthorn. So, <laughs> got five more novels to come, and uh, two, two maybe no three. You've got three novellas. So let's see if I can get all three novellas and five novels out next year, as promised. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, now, speaking of, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week and our last one of the year. Um, and no one is going to be um, surprised to discover that I am going to be recommending uh, Jules's latest novella, her Christmas um, novella, <laughs> which has just come out. It's uh, called A Midnight Profound. Um, and uh, it is going to be really nice, especially for those who have been with uh jewels um since sort of unveiled because uh the story centers around uh amy taking steve back to arancliff um for for christmas and uh of course nothing goes to plan um <laughs> why would because I mean, it wouldn't this... be christmas without some elderich horror <laughs> It, see this is a thing i sit down and think i'm gonna write a really cozy cutesy christmasy type novella and then two chapters in there's cosmic horror yeah. so i'm really sorry but i think it ends in a really uplifting place if that <laughs> what people can look forward to in particular is aunt mary and steve <laughs> aunt yes. mary and steve in a room together what an <laughs> I just immediately said to Jules, like, this is a case of unstoppable force meets immovable object. Yeah. Or uh, uh, folklore nerd meets <laughs> unstoppable force. It very definitely is a bit like that. Um, and there, there is a... Um, I don't want to give spoilers, but there's a great father-daughter bonding moment as well. So. Yeah. So um, definitely check that out, guys. Um, it will be a, a nice sort of finish for the year before we get into season two. Uh, sorry, rather, to finish season two and before we get into season three of Harker and Blackthorn. Um, and all that's left to say is that um, I hope all of you have a fantastic new year. Thank you so much for 
your continued support through 2022. I almost said 2002, and that's definitely not right. Uh, 2022. Uh, to our listeners who've been with us since the beginning, to our listeners who've only just um, joined us, thank you so much. It has been fantastic. We've really enjoyed um, doing Dissecting Dragons this year. Um, we've enjoyed hearing from you and we look forward to bringing you more antics, uh, speculative fiction speculation, um, and all of that good stuff in 2023. Yeah, thanks very much, guys, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and see you next year. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.